Uh, I will be reading Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. You can find that on page 939, uh, Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Good to see you this evening. Um, just a quick request, after services this evening, just immediately after, if there are some able-bodied men and able-bodied women that would like to help as well, we need your help over in the OFC. Uh, we need your help setting up for our singing on Wednesday night. This coming Wednesday night, we're gonna be singing in that room. You guys kind of know how that goes, uh, those that, that have set that up before. So just as soon as services are over, if you'll go, we need to put up the tables and then just get the chairs and the pews arranged so that we we have seating for everyone. If you'll help us out with that, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. And Wednesday night, I hope you'll make it a priority to be with us. We'll be singing together over there. And uh, what a wonderful time it is, an encouraging time to be able to sing together as God's people. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the subject of homosexuality and what does the scripture tell us? We've talked about the, the facts about it a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we talked about maybe how someone that was trying to justify this behavior, this lifestyle from a Bible standpoint might approach this. Tonight, I'm just going to do this. If you went back in time 2000 years ago to the city of Corinth, we've been saying this all through this series. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul says that there were previously in that congregation people that were thieves and adulterers and fornicators and homosexuals, among many other things. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I want us to do is think about that. There was a congregation 2,000 years ago, not unlike this one, of people that had been baptized for the remission of their sins and some of the sins that the people that were part of that congregation had previously practiced had to do with homosexuality. And the question for us in a modern context in 2023 is, what would it look like? How would someone who is living a homosexual lifestyle, how can we reach somebody like that? with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe as we just sang that the gospel really is for all. We believe that it's powerful, that it changes lives. What does it look like for Christians? What are some things we need to think about in our approach to our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones that are living this lifestyle? That's the question before us this evening. And the first thing I want us to do with that question is just this. I want us to point out, first of all, in our outline, two conflicting issues. This is, this is different in some ways from teaching someone who is um, just, you know, they're, they're living a lifestyle, but, but they recognize that what they're doing is sinful. When we start talking to our friends and our neighbors who are living a homosexual lifestyle, two conflicting issues arise very quickly. The first is this, that nowadays in our country, in our society, homosexuality is a matter of identity for many people, if not most. We've said this before in this series, people look at this now and they identify themselves. If you ask people that are living a homosexual lifestyle, who are you? One of the first things that they will usually tell you in our society, in our culture is I'm gay, I'm homosexual. 
and, and it's a matter of who I am. It's a matter of identity. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 talks about how before people became Christians that we were lost in our sins. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but we were following the power of the prince of this world, the power of the prince of the air. We were taken captive by him. And I think there's something of that in this. The idea that this is who I am, this is the way I am, and there's just no separating me from my sexual orientation. And that's not like other sins in this regard because thieves don't go around having a thief pride month, for example. I'm not trying to be funny in saying that, but they don't, they don't say, um, look at me. Fornicators don't look around and say, this is who I am and I want to have a month that, that celebrates me and who I am. That doesn't happen with other sins, but it does in our culture with this one. And as evangelists, as wise evangelists, we have to appreciate that reality. On the other side of the conflicting issue, get your Bibles and open to Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Christians are not at liberty to support, to condone, or to celebrate this. And the reason we are not is because of what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, among other passages. After listing a number of different kinds of sins, including homosexuality, in Romans chapter 1, the apostle says, even though people know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. What that means is it's not just wrong to engage in sinful behavior, including homosexuality. It is wrong to approve of or to celebrate or to, or to tell somebody that's a wonderful thing that you're doing. It's wrong for Christians to do this. And that creates a lot of tension, I know, in the workplace, at school, in your family. I understand it creates a lot of tension. God understands this. But part of what it means to be a Christian, as we've been hearing on Sunday mornings the last three weeks, is being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, being meek and being gentle and being kind and yet standing with a backbone for what is true and what is right. That's what God's called us to do. We're not at liberty to support, to condone, to celebrate this. And so, if you haven't heard anything else about evangelism from this series, hear this. Christianity and Christians in general typically say things like, well, we ought to hate the sin but love the sinner. When it comes to this sin, if you say, I hate the sin, people interpret it because it's an identity thing as you hate me. People interpret it that way. You hate me. If you say you hate what I'm doing, you hate me because this is who I am. And we must be sensitive to that in our approach. Don't compromise the truth, but be sensitive to how people see this and see themselves. And be sensitive to what God wants us to do as Christians in the process. Two conflicting issues. Secondly, this evening, let's talk about three unwavering convictions. This is what we believe as Christians. Three things that are unwavering in our approach evangelistically to people that are living this kind of lifestyle. Number one. God offers hope to all who sin. God's word offers hope to all who sin. Matthew chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. 
And that includes people that are living a homosexual lifestyle. I've come to seek them, I've come to save them. God offers hope to all who sin. We must as Christians keep that in the forefront of our minds, the idea that God is on the side of people. He's for people. He wants people to come to him. He loves us. We are his creation and he wants us to respond to him in faithful, hopeful obedience. The second unwavering convention, uh, conviction that we have is this. The gospel is God's power to transform lives. We don't have to get into psychology. We don't have to get into uh, genetics. We don't have to get into any of those subjects in order to help somebody understand God's will for their life. In fact, we'd probably be better off if we don't get into those subjects because what people need to hear is the message about Jesus, how he came to this world, how he walked into our lives, how he sat down at tables with people that were harlots and tax collectors and sinners and how he encouraged them to know God. And he wants the same thing for your life and mine. And if we tell people that story, the story we've been singing about tonight, and if we tell people about how Jesus wants them to respond to him in faithful obedience, people will respond to that message. That is the gospel message. It's God's power to transform lives. That's why Romans 1.16 says what it says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel is God's power to save. And all we have to do, brothers and sisters and friends, at fundamental level, is share the saving message of Jesus and its implications for people's lives. You say, well, yes, but what you were saying about identity a little while ago, John, and people taking this and saying, this is who I am and asking questions like, why would God make me this way? And those kinds of questions may well come up in a conversation. The gospel has power. And our conviction is that what people need to hear, all people, is the gospel message. Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them and show them in the Bible what he has done and how he has died for them. And then show them what the, the New Testament teaches about how we are to live for him and respond to him. That's the idea. Ephesians six seventeen: the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And then third, unwavering conviction. Brothers and sisters and friends, God does his most amazing work through relationships. God does his most amazing work through relationships. You know, I've heard over the last three years since COVID started, we've, we've really amped up what we're doing on live stream. I've heard from people literally all over the world that watch our live stream weekly and they send an email or they call us and say, we appreciate this lesson. Would you send me the notes on that lesson? Things like that. I appreciate that people are watching us online, but it's not the same to watch online as it is to have a relationship face-to-face -face with somebody else. The, the online presence is great. I'm not knocking that at all, but God works through face-to-face -face relationships. That's the way he's always worked. And one of the reasons why he's given us the gospel and said to you and me, go preach the gospel, go talk to people, look them in the eye across the table and share the message with them is because that's how the gospel gets communicated. That's his design, that's his plan. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, they asked Jesus, what are the great commandments or what's the great commandment of the law? He said, there's two of them. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. By the way, that's a relationship. And then the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So how are your relationships with the people around you? What kinds of relationships do you have with the people in your friend group, in your circle of influence in this world? 
because the way you relate to people may well spell the difference in where somebody else spends eternity. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit, to pay attention to, and to meet the needs of widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Religion's about relationships. And God does his most amazing work through relationships. If we don't engage with the people around us, if we're not available for the people around us, those that are living homosexual lifestyles, it's going to be very difficult for the gospel to make many inroads. We believe the gospel has the power, but how are our relationships with those around us? That's the question. God does amazing things through the relationships that we enjoy with the people in our lives. Many years ago, I was blessed to know a man who was a New Testament Christian that had left the homosexual lifestyle. You know how he did it? He was an activist. He was zealous for the cause. He moved to, uh, to a large city in, in another state and, and he lived that lifestyle. Several years after moving and, and living that lifestyle, he was diagnosed with AIDS. And because his health was deteriorating quickly, he moved back home here to Texas. He moved in with his mother. His mother was a member of the New Testament church. And his mother said, I really wish you'd come to church with me. And he said, well, they don't, they don't care about me there. They won't, they'll hate me there, but he came. And the preacher at that congregation, one of the best evangelists I've ever met in my entire life. The preacher, Everybody in the congregation knew this man and knew his background, knew what was going on. The preacher walked up and in a very friendly way just said, would you come and visit with me this week? What would keep you from doing that? And, and, and the man said, the homosexual man said, I, I, I don't think we've got much to say to each other. We, don't, we disagree on a lot of things. You know what the preacher said? We can disagree and still be friends. And that man the preacher started to study with him, and it took a year, a year of Bible studies. But that man came down the aisle one night and was baptized for the remission of his sins. And he would always tell people the story if you asked him. He told me many times, he said, the best thing that ever happened was that not only did the preacher say, we can disagree and still be friends. Can't we be friends even if we disagree about some things? He said, that just opened a new door of revelation for me. I, I thought if we disagreed, we couldn't be friends, but that was new to me. And then he said, and just the tenderness and the kindness and the love that he used, uh, that he exhibited and that the church exhibited. And this preacher had a standing rule. I've thought about this a lot over the years. The standing rule that this preacher had, if we're gonna have a Bible study together, an evangelistic study, I want you to commit to being at every service of the Lord's church while we're studying together. And so he'd always ask people, I want you to commit to, to being at every service while we study together. And if people agreed to do that, then the preacher would say, let's, let's start a study. And this man said, my connections and my relationships in the church made a huge difference. God does his most amazing work, brothers and sisters and friends, through relationships. So, with that in mind, four relational skills. Just like four legs on a chair, just like four essential tools in your toolbox, if you want to have better relationships, and this goes for every relationship in your life, but especially as we think about our neighbors and our friends who are living a homosexual lifestyle in this sermon, 
Four relational skills, and these all come from our Lord Jesus Christ. If I would make a difference in the life of others, what skills should I cultivate? What skills should I have in my life? Number one, availability. Jesus was available for people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that means in John 1:14? It means he moved into our neighborhood and he made himself available to people. He came to earth so that he could talk to people and look them in the eye and have a relationship with them. He made himself available. And you and I ought to ask the question, Am I available to other people? Am I available and approachable? Am I the kind of person that other people feel like they can walk up and have a conversation with? Because they certainly felt that way about Jesus. You say, well, that's not my personality. I'm kind of, I'm kind of quiet and I don't like to talk as much. It's okay to have that personality, but do people feel like they can approach you? That's the question. Are you available? Galatians chapter six, verse 10. The scripture says we are, all of us, called as Christians to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. How are your relationships with others when it comes to availability? Because the easy thing to do in our society is to slam the door and to insulate yourself and to not be available for others. You're never going to make a difference in people's lives if you don't become like Jesus in this regard. Second, relational skill, sensitivity. Sensitivity. Jesus was not like a bull in a china shop relationally. Jesus was sensitive. He listened with his ears and he listened with his eyes constantly. And so you have, for example, in Matthew 9, verse 36, and in John 11, verses 32 through 44, people that are hungry. And Jesus says, The crowd seems hungry. Nobody else was thinking about that, but Jesus was. Or in John 11, when his friends were crying over the loss of their loved one, and Jesus was grieved in his heart because his friends were crying. He cared about them. Sensitivity. It has to do with observation, what's going on in people's lives, and then insight. What does this mean? And there was nobody in this world that was ever more sensitive to others than Jesus. You want to know one of the best things you can do for somebody that's living an alternative lifestyle, a homosexual lifestyle, a transgender lifestyle, and we're going to know some people, if you already don't, you're going to know some people like that. As a sensitive matter, you could just ask this question. I've done it, by the way. Tell me about yourself. You're living this lifestyle. You know, you brought this up to me. You said this is who you are. Tell me about yourself. How'd you come to live this way? What is, there that, what is there that happened in your life or what are some things that have taken place? Tell me your story. I'd like to hear your story. And then just listen and try to listen with empathy and try to feel as they feel and see as they see. It makes a difference because people, when they feel like they've been heard, when they feel like you actually respect them enough to listen to what they say, because you know, the Bible that you, you read, it says that what I'm doing is a sin. You're gonna condemn me. When you listen to people, and you show them that kind of respect, you're being sensitive to them. Jesus certainly did that. Third, relational skill. How about kindness? Don't call people names. Don't use slurs and epithets and all kinds of ungodly language to describe what's happening. The Bible's very clear about what God says and what he feels about homosexual behavior. You be kind. 
And not only that, you'd be thoughtful to the people around you. Because even though we disagree, we could still be friends and we could still be kind to one another. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient and love is kind, isn't it? Galatians 5, 6 talks about having a faith that works through love. Be kind. It's a relational skill. Have you thought about lately when you watch the news or when you go out on the roads or when you see people in stores, have you thought about how few people around us are genuinely kind these days? Pay attention to that this week. Okay, Debbie's nodding. She, she, she waits tables and serves at, at Olive Garden. She knows. We know. All of us know instinctively there's very, very little kindness. But when you show kindness and you do it consistently, you're being like Jesus. And he was consistently kind to people. And then fourth, relational skill. Last one. Creativity. Jesus dealt with people in creative ways. It was not a one-size-fits-all approach with Jesus. Sometimes he asked questions. Tell me about you. Tell me about who you are. Tell me about what, what you know, how'd you get to this point in your life? I'm really curious. I genuinely want to know. Jesus would ask questions like that. Sometimes Jesus would tell stories himself. And the stories were usually about Things that were familiar to people. There was a sower that went out to sow and some of the seed fell on good ground and some didn't. Jesus was creative is what I'm saying. Sometimes he spoke to masses and crowds. Sometimes he spent time with just an individual. I will say this, if you're wanting to study this topic further, this one tonight, you ought to give a lot of time and prayer and attention to what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you want to understand how do I reach across boundaries and how do I reach across identity factors like the fact that this lady's a woman, this lady's a Samaritan, that she has a different religious view than I do. How did Jesus reach across all those barriers and connect with somebody? He was creative. That's how. And you and I could be creative in how we talk to others as well. It might be as something as simple as you saying, hey, would you come visit me? I don't know. We disagree on a lot of things. I don't think we can be friends. We could disagree and still be friends, can't we? Isn't that possible? Do, do, do you love me? Even, do you think it's possible to love me even though I live a different lifestyle than you? And if it's possible for you to love me, don't you think it might be possible for me to love you even though I disagree with some of the things you're doing? Be creative. Be thoughtful. Be prayerful. Those relational skills will help you as a Christian to go far in connecting in helpful and positive ways for the glory of God. Such were some of you. That's what they said 2,000 years ago. And that's what the Bible would say about all of us as well. The fact that we lived sinful lifestyles before we came to Jesus Christ. And yet because of Jesus and what he did for us at the cross, we have been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been sanctified. And Jesus can forgive all sin, and he wants that more than anything else. Thank you for your kind attention this evening. Heaven's invitation, we're going to offer that in just a moment. If you need to respond to the gospel, the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe in him, repent of your sin, be baptized. That's how somebody becomes a Christian. If you'd like to ask for prayers, if there's some way that we can help or serve, make your way down the aisle and let your need be known while together we stand and while we sing.